who are you? And Shauna, who sends out the notices, was teasing me in the hall saying, well, who are you? <laughs> that will be yet to be revealed, I'm sure. But our academic dean, Dr. Robbins, Anna, pointed me uh, to a comment made by none other than Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. So I did some research recently, and I want to read you an excerpt of what the Archbishop of Canterbury would have to say. These are his words. In the last month, I have discovered that my biological father is not Gavin Welby, but in fact, the late Sir Anthony Montague Brown. This comes as a complete surprise. My mother, Jane Williams, and father, Gavin Welby, were both alcoholics. My mother has been in recovery since 1968 and has not touched alcohol for over 48 years. I am enormously proud of her. My father, Gavin Welby, died as a result of the alcohol and smoking, as a result of alcohol and smoking in 1977. I was 21. My own experience is typical of many people. To find that one's father is other than imagined is not unusual. He goes on to say, to be the child of families with great difficulties in relationships, with substance abuse or other matters, is far too normal. This revelation has, of course, been a surprise, but in my life and our, in our marriage, Catherine, or Caroline and I have had far worse. Now hear this. I know that I find who I am in Jesus Christ not in genetics. And my identity in him never changes. Even more importantly, my role as Archbishop makes me constantly aware of the real and genuine pain and suffering of the many around the world, which should be the main focus of our prayers. It is the next paragraph that caught my attention. At the very outset of my inauguration, Three years ago, Evangeline Canagasorium, a young member of the Canterbury Cathedral Congregation, said, We greet you in the name of Christ. Who are you? And why do you request entry? To which I responded, I am justice a servant of Jesus Christ, and I come as one seeking the grace of God to travel with you in his service together. What has changed, he asked. And then he says, nothing. Some of you will walk across the platform, and in some universities it is the practice for graduates to kneel before the chancellor. That is what happened in my case when I came through Dalhousie University. Kneel before the chancellor, was touched with a diploma on my shoulder, and the chancellor said, rise, Bachelor of Arts. <laughs> you know, one's identity at that moment is so closely associated 
with the granting of the degree that the recipient may see himself or herself as that which is awarded. Educational institutions, the world of academia, the global business community may award you title and honor. But there is no more important question for you to answer than the same one asked of Justin Welby during his inauguration service as Archbishop. Who are you? And why do you request entry? Who are you? This was asked of Jesus. It was asked about Jesus when he quieted the raging and life-threatening storm on the Sea of Galilee. They stood back and said, Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? Matthew 8, 27. At his baptism, Jesus heard the words from heaven as the Father said to him, you are my beloved son. In you, I'm well pleased. The same was on the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus went there and in the cloud and in the beauty of the raiment, whiter and shining than anything we could ever imagine all around him. Again, the words from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In the desert, Following that baptism, as Jesus sorted through many questions about his life and ministry, it was the enemy himself who came to him, and the enemy will come to you. The enemy came to him, and what did he say? If you are the Son of God. In other words, who do you think you are? Jesus responds with scripture. And then, wonderfully, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus back to the town where he was raised. And he goes to Nazareth, and it's, it's the day of worship, and he goes in, and he's handed the scroll, and the opening of the scroll, it says, he found the place where it is written, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because... He's anointed me to preach good news. Everybody there knew it was the messianic servant passage. But it wasn't enough that he just read it. At the end of it, he says, Today, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And the hometown boy who did such a good job with elocution and won the scripture reading passage. <laughs> within moments was taken to the hill, tried to be forced out of town because he dared to say, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. At the cross, at the cross, it was one of the thieves who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, that thief knew, had a sense that there was something different about that particular man. And it is at the death of Jesus that one of those Roman guards 
says, truly, this man was the son of God. As you read through the book of John, there are those amazing eight different conversations where Jesus makes declaration very specific about himself. Far-reaching, outrageous statements, some might say. He blatantly claims that he is these things. The implications reach deep into our daily lives. Listen to them. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Who are you? For, Arch, for the Archbishop of Canterbury, he learned what I need to remember, and I would suggest you need to recall and remember all the days of your Christian life. That regardless of how many degrees you have behind your name, or when you sign your signature on an email, and you list all of who you are, that's all good. It's all appropriate. And in that context, more than appropriate. But it is not who you are. It tells us something sometimes about what you do. Our identity is first and primarily a child of God. Check out Professor Zacharias' email. How he signs his email. You see, first and primary for any of us, through your life's journey, when you meet people and interact with people and you serve in whatever capacity God allows you to serve, whether it be a layperson, whether it be a, a pastor, a, a counselor, a teacher, a chaplain, whoever you are, wherever you go, whatever you will do, you are first and primarily. And may this be the encounter of people when they meet you, they'll know that you are a child of God. That's your primary identity. Secondly, I want to say to you, because you're a child of God, you and I are to be servants. The washing of the feet of the disciples, Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Not only does God call us his children, but he puts us in a family. We're part of a family here. And in the family, we are called to serve one another. Sometimes we, are, we resist being served, and sometimes we resist serving others. 
But our first call after being identified as a child of God is to be a servant within the body of Christ. It's fascinating as you look through the scriptures to see that there is not only a call in us to be a servant, but as we serve, Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Call to be a child of God is not an isolating experience. We are immediately baptized into the body of Christ. And our first and primary relationship there, regardless of the gifts that God may bestow upon you, is to serve one another. And there is something beautiful. I don't know if you can imagine the most beautiful bouquet of flowers upon a table. Whether it's roses, chrysanthemum, whatever it may be for you. The fragrance of fresh roses and their beauty. The church should be as a bouquet and the fragrance of our life together will be so powerful it will draw people to Jesus. But we have to learn to serve one another. Not only in the church, not only our family of origin, sometimes the most difficult place to be a servant. The peoples of the earth. Who do you think of this morning when you think of wonderful servants across the earth? I think of Mother Teresa. A woman who said this, If you judge people, you will have no time to love them. And then she says, There are Calcuttas all over the world if you have eyes to see them. We are a child of God. We are servants of God. Then we come to the scripture that we've heard from this morning, another identity for us. Following his resurrection, there's a period of about 40 days. And I don't know about you, but in my early training as a Christian, there wasn't much time spent about those 40 days following the resurrection. What kind of interaction with the risen Christ when he would come to them and teach them and he would talk with them. And we don't have a lot of record of those conversations, but we have this one from the book of Acts, chapter 1. And the record is in the interchange. They're, they're trying to understand the kingdom of God and they're trying to understand if it's going to be a political kingdom. And they're trying to grasp what this life together would mean. And then comes these words. You will receive power. Now our New Testament scholars will be quick to remind us that this is not exousia. This is not ruling power. This is dunamis. This is ability power. You will receive ability power. The dynamic Life of God. And the dynamic life of God is going to cause you to be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. If you are called as a witness to an event, it would be ridiculous to suggest that you were sleeping at the time of the event. 
If you're called to be a witness, you've seen something, you know something. There's something that's happening that you have first-hand experience, and it's so important to the case that people want to know what you think and what you think will be entered into evidence. A witness. You have first-hand experience. Do you remember after Judas they had to choose another? Do you remember the qualifications? The qualifications were there had to be an individual who had been with Jesus from the baptism of John right up to uh, the, not only the resurrection, but the ascension. The lot fell to Matthew or Matthias. This morning, I know I have not had a vision or an experience of a visit from the risen Christ where I can behold the nail prints in his hand like Thomas wanted, you remember? I've not had the ability to see where the spear pierced his side. But I'll tell you something that I know. I know by the work and wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit that when I've come to the Word of God, I've been convicted that it's true. I know by the evidence of the Scripture, I know by the good work of theologians, by the good work of biblical scholars, that there's evidence for my faith. It's not a blind leap, but I must take a step. Because beyond the evidence is requirement of faith. And that faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet I must take that step. And Jesus said to Thomas, You've seen, but blessed are those who've never seen. And yet, believe. You're a witness. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell about God. You have your own story. We're a witness to God's love that's fully revealed in Jesus what impact has that love made in your life? Interestingly, witnesses are not really um, focusing on themselves, but they focus on the event or the person or whatever it is that they've seen or experienced. You're a child of God. You're a servant of God. You're a witness. And finally, and the list could go on, I found so many pieces of identity as I prepared this message. You could have bummed this. I'm taken by the fact that God says to me, and he says to you from 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Remember, an ambassador represents someone else. An ambassador speaks for the other. The ambassador gets to know the person who sent them so well that when the ambassador is received, it is, it is as if the other was present. Jesus said, you 
did not choose me, I chose you, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. And to the church at Philippi, Jesus said, I am confident of something, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out or on to the day of completion. In my class on pastoral identity, some of you are in my class, you remember, <laughs> we spend a fair amount of time on aspects of ministry, but remember, what you will do for Christ must flow from your relationship with Christ. For Archbishop Justin Welby, he answered well the question, who are you and why do you request entry? He said, I am Justin, a servant of Jesus Christ, and I come as one seeking the grace of God to travel with you in his service together. Isn't that an amazing So I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to leave a blank. And I'd like you, if you feel you can, to put your own name in there. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And I come as one, seeking the grace of God to travel with Sharpen our minds that we might be those who think clearly about your word, about who you are. Enliven our spirits that we may have dunamis, the ability as children, as brothers and sisters, as witnesses and as ambassadors. In Jesus' name.